Welcome to Inside Impact, where we give you a behind-the-scenes peek at how organizations can create positive change in their communities. I'm Elisa, founder of Unity Web Agency, and on the show today, we're joined by one of the most recognizable figures of the next generation of the B Corp movement, Nathan Stuck. He's the CEO of Profitable Purpose Consulting and the chairperson of the board at Be Local Georgia. Nathan's journey to the B Corp world was a long and windy path. He got an international business degree, but that led him to a job of dispatching chicken trucks. Then he moved to Vegas to play poker full-time, and then was a salesperson at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. By the middle of 2014, I quit a job through an email, completely burned out on capitalism, kind of grossed out. Um, I'm reading Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century, and for some reason, out of all this, I decide, I think I'm gonna get an MBA. Honestly, it was probably the allure of like, let's hit reset. I worked at the Classic Center, which is our convention center. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers, we were all making eight bucks an hour, part-time, no benefits. And I'm like, this is this is what we this is what we're doing here. Like these people that like, oh, they're lazy and if they tried harder, like, dude, these people work harder than you do. They have three part-time jobs. It started opening my eyes, like the inequity, the greed, the just the the, the gross parts that we've we've let define capitalism. Um, that we've become okay with in the pursuit of I don't know what we were pursuing. And so my second semester, I just randomly walk into a meeting that I agreed to go to with some company called Ad Victorium that wanted to certify as a B Corp. Nathan was the one who successfully led the certification process. He was hooked. He found his people, including Christina Noel, who you'll hear from in the next episode. Nathan became entrenched in the B Corp community, and he even founded B Local Georgia in 2016. You know, I said it in my TED Talk, I'm an unapologetic capitalist. I have family from East Germany. Like, I love the private owner. I love that you get rewarded for value. I love, you know, like, I love the tenets of capitalism, but I I hate what we let it become. Um, and I hate some of the greed associated with it and the exploitation and extraction. And all of a sudden, I found a community of people who thought exactly like me. Thank you for sharing that. It's so interesting to me. Um I only learned about B Corp. Well, what year was that? I'm curious. Like when when was it that you were at UGA and you learned? January of 16 was that first oh, meeting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's about when I learned about them too. I was like at a nonprofit and wanting to start my own business and like get back into agency life. And I was talking with a friend that I was I was just saying, like, I really love being at a nonprofit. Like, I love this mission-driven focus. I love that everybody that's here is, like, united around a cause, and we're doing good in the community, and, like, I feel like we're making an impact that's going to last, and I don't want to go back into the corporate culture. And he's like, have you ever heard of B Corps? No, what's that? Is that, like, a C Corp, an S Corp? Like, what is that? Um, and, yeah, it was, it was, like, my mind was blown in that minute that he was telling me about it. And I knew from that second, I was like, that's what my business is going to be. When I founded Unity in 2016, by 2018, we were certified. Yeah, that was when we certified was January of 18. Yeah. For Unity, it was, I think, probably a bit easier than other companies that had already been around. Because I used the B-Impact assessment almost as a roadmap for how to start a business, how to what do you set up policy-wise? Like, how do what benefits should I consider? Like, all of those things. So it was like a 
built in. <laughs> it's foundational. It's yeah. I mean, that's what people. I mean, I I've I've spoken to, to two TechStars cohorts, one in Atlanta, one in Birmingham, and you know, I get that question of like, how early is too early? And I'm like, I mean, I, it might not be right for you to certify right off the rip, but like, I I hate when when somebody, you know, some startup advisor read the article about B Corps in 2012 and that their advice hasn't changed in 11 years. It's like, oh, terrible for your business. And I, you know, investors want to see revenue. No, like you just haven't found the right investor yet. But like from, a, from an institutional framework piece, from a foundational piece of like, it's a lot easier to replace a window later on than it is to tear the whole house down, put a new foundation down. Like I remember Advic, it was like eight, 10, 12 employees, you know, we ate when we started like 23, when we certified and all of a sudden like, it was like 35, 50, 75. And you're like, we've got a handbook, we've got policies, we've got, and we've got commitments now too. Cause I, I use this analogy all the time of a boat taking on water, you know, like it, that, that CSR stuff, the ESG is pretty easy to throw overboard when you're trying to keep a boat afloat. But when it's bolted down to the, 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 the hole of the boat, you're like, well, okay, well we better bail, get more buckets bail faster like that that's not going anywhere and now all of a sudden our revenue is growing but like we still committed to one percent going to you know nonprofit causes so like well, let's figure out how to do it um so yeah it's i think it's incredibly valuable to scaling and growth yeah i agree with that 100 percent. well i think it's a interesting transition talking about the bailing the boat and everything, but I'm curious about what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen with B Corps? I think we're going through a, I want to say grow, well, definitely growing pains as far as the certification queue, but that's a good thing because we're just getting more and more companies interested. I think there's a little bit of an identity crisis to a certain extent. And I think, I think as the community grows, it's becoming less homogenous, you know, I mean, and I, I, I always kind of talk about this, especially in the Southeast of like, you know, what, the, the the business case or the, the the marketing case you would make in a Portland or a Boulder or the Bay Area or New York City is a lot different than the marketing that I'm going to do in the suburbs of Atlanta or in Burlington, North Carolina, or I'm just going to say Florida. It's all my Floridian friends and my old, where I grew up. Um, you know, so I think there's, and you know, and I've had these conversations where it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's, I'm, I've had conversations with CEOs in my state of like, you know, it, it runs the risk of sounding so f- too much left for what, where we are. And it becomes a liability to us and business development things because people, you know, people right, wrong or other have like their trigger words and they don't really understand the meaning of it, but they're just, it's like a Pavlovian dog whistle that, you know, you say, whatever, you know, you don't call it capitalism and the, the dog whistle says like socialism, you know, like, so I think, I think that to me is the biggest thing right now is figuring out like the one size fits all approach might not be scalable. I think is, is, is where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pushing back a little bit of like, Hey, kind of like, you know, and I went on that networking tour last year and I'm doing it again this year. And I was in a lot of flyover States, Illinois and Indiana and Ohio and Kentucky uh, Idaho, you know, Tennessee. And it's like, and I, I, that's what I heard. And and they might not say it publicly, but I, I got the sense from a lot that it's like, Hey, you know, we are committed to business as a force for good and committed to some of these things. But sometimes it's, sometimes we, you know, we just have to package it differently. It's marketing. It's, it's what, you know, what's going to resonate and what isn't. Um, I, I'll use the analogy a friend of mine used when she did uh, fundraising for 
essentially a reforestation project. Um, and she was like, when I'm in Atlanta proper, I fundraise around climate change. When I'm in South Georgia, I fundraise around hunting and, you know, re reforesting places for people to hunt and hunt into populations of wild animals and stuff like, and I fundraise the same amount and people are just as passionate and I'm doing it for the same cause, but I just change what I'm fundraising around and package it differently. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's, that's deep. So that's really interesting. But, yeah. You know, it made me think about how, um, like there's a struggle in North Carolina with getting, um, we, we still don't have a benefit corporation status in North Carolina. And, and like, it's weird. Other Southern states do. Um, I think even South Carolina and North Carolina's got always that push pull kind of thing between South Carolina where it's like, Oh, we have to be ahead in North Carolina. But I'm curious about Georgia. Like when did that, do you know how long ago that passed? Once it went into effect, it was either January of 2020 or 2021 that it went into effect. So So it's rather recent. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, like most of them in the South, it's, it's, I don't say watered down. It, it, it ain't Delaware. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, it's not, it's not the gold standard of public benefit corporation legislation. But you know, it's where you you kind of get into these philosophical arguments of like, do we go for everything that we stand for, or are we okay with accepting progress? And like to me, that's like you know, somebody opens the door and you stick your foot in it. And now they can't close it. And like to me, that's kind of a lot of the P- the PBC legislation in the South is like it's like yeah. boom, okay, doors open. Like we're gonna continue to kind of like lean on that door until until we get it open all the way. But it, it's it's a step in the right direction. And at the end of the day, too, it's the it's all about the stakeholder protections um, and the ability to you know have those, those exit conversations, you know, those conversations that around more than just what's in the, you know, what's in our fiduciary duty to our shareholders. That's why Mm. I slept through finance and business law. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about your perspective with capitalism. In a previous, in a previous interview, you were asked why B Corps mattered to you and your response was, and I'll quote in brief, capitalism is broken in the forms of inequity, low wages, and an unbalanced division of capital. It's time to finally move on from the theory of shareholder primacy. Ooh, I said Can that? Can you unpack that? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I got to start paying attention to what I say on podcasts. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, and this is very similar to the argument I laid out in to plug my TED talk that's about to be released at some point, hopefully Ted does what Ted wants to do, but it was literally the topic was reimagined, like the theme of the event. And so I did reimagining capitalism through purpose on purpose or through purpose with purpose and on purpose. And so like any talk I give, I always bring my main man, Milton Friedman into it. And, you know, like he's kind of the godfather of like whatever the hell capitalism turned into of like, just, I mean, you think about like 50s, 60s, like our grandparents, like my same factory, basically to the day he died. Um, like just, they just worked at the same place forever. They had pensions and they had, you know, like you get a career advice from like grandparent, like, and you're just like, well, I mean, you just go and you work there and you work hard for 40 years. They give you a watch and then you get your pension. You know, you're like, what world are you from? Um, and then you get this whole idea of like, this is like, this like, weird corporate greed shareholder thing kicks in and like you know that but the op-ed was 1970 and basically like nah shareholders just exist and they started finding ways to like slowly incrementally like increase margins 
And then, you know, and then you started seeing like, you know, and, 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 and part of the blame in this time, you know, I've got family from the, all my family's in Michigan. So I can kind of talk halfway intelligently about the dirty looks when we got, when we drove an Acura to Michigan one year. Um, but you know, part of it was, you know, the union started to also, the greed came in there too, where they started to push for more and more that wasn't really fiscally possible. But then at the same time though, like they're, they're, the, the union busting and then also the ability to kind of use that and then outsource jobs. There was no like meeting in the middle. It was like all or nothing on both sides. And then you started to see entire parts of the Midwest just basically abandoned um, to a point where we weren't really making anything anymore. And we never thought, you know, in theory, Milton's arguments probably, you know, I get them. But like there was no thought of like what happens when we crush the middle class. You know, like what happens when like, you know, the average employees wages have risen like 18 percent since 1970 and the average fortune 200 ceo is a 1322 percent like what you know like i mean come on come on like what are we talking about here like how, how is that possible you know minimum wage and in 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 average wages haven't kept up with inflation like it, the economic opportunity i read an article this morning about how like millennials are kind of effed like we you know because we lost that first decade of your career is the where you see the most wage growth like we our first decade coming into the job market like the 04 recession and then the giant mortgage bust that i was living in vegas lasted from 2007 to like a couple years ago so like you know there's just just that opening it up to nothing but money and nothing but profit and nothing but margins exposed humanity's um, dark sides, you know, and I think, I think, you know, it's the same argument I use against libertarianism sometimes. It's just like if we just trust mankind with like no rules, regulations to do the right thing, like history shows we probably won't. Um, just let the free market just do whatever it wants to. And what I think is cool now is that the free market, you know, there's an article that Mark McNeese, who teaches at Florida State, just, just published in the Tallahassee Democrat, an op ed. Sorry, you know, his views do not represent those of the paper. And then Miami Herald picked it up. And it was essentially like capitalism, like what's happening right now. This is not ESG. This is not woke capitalism. This is damn capitalism. This is, you know, and I said it in the TED Talk. Like if you look at Merriam-Webster's definition, capitalism is the private or corporate ownership of goods and services. That's it. And then the and then the production, pricing and distribution are controlled by the free market. And that's Mm -hmm. us. We're the free market. And so what you're seeing now is people like me, like a lot of people, you know, or go teach a, you know, go guest lecture to a college class, go talk to some of these Gen Z's, go meet these students. Like even my MBAs now, it's like, oh, wow, all my MBAs are Gen Z's. Um, the class I teach there, like they, they're demanding this, like they're done, like they're not, they don't, they're not putting up with this. And then they helped our generation kind of like figure out like, oh. Yeah, whoa, our parents' advice was terrible. Keep your head down, work hard, chase promotions, don't rock the boat. Like, and so Gen Z showed up, and it was like all of a sudden there's this majority of people who just kind of disgusted with whatever this is, and we demanded more. And then businesses just caught on and realized, oh, where'd the demand curve go? It's over there. And then they ran that way. And so yeah. everybody's like, oh, you know, this is like activist capitalism. Like, no, it's just like if we had said, like, no, that's fine, pour sludge into the rivers. People would be like, well, they want us to pour sludge into the rivers, you know? Like, it's just and free. <laughs> argument was that employees and consumers would be the end of the social enterprise 
And, you know, you think about that and you're like, you were right. They just went in a different direction. So that to me is, is where it's, you know, where it's broken and that people, it's kind of, I forget what the movie was, but like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd say it dates me, but that predates me. So, but it's that I think kind of element of, and now I think it's our responsibility as business owners and leaders in this movement to also help people understand like, what is the realist approach to doing this? Um, how do we grow the movement? How do we meet people where they're at on their journey and help them do better? Um, as opposed to like, if you're not there yet, we want nothing to do with you. If your intentions are good, but you are not there yet, let us help you um, versus ostracize you. And I think that's kind of coming back to the last question. Of, I think there's I think there's a bit of that happening in the B Corp movement too, where we're a little unsure of like who needs to be canceled and who's redeemable and um, is anybody redeemable? And, and and I probably lean more towards the, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So, and if we're going to build a mainstream movement and really change capitalism, I think that's the approach we have to take. Mm-hmm. So 10 years from now, with what you've seen with Gen Z and their interest and passion around not screwing the little guy, right? What do you hope to see in 10 years? either with the B Corp movement or capitalism or whatever. You know, I mean, so, and it's, I'm so glad you said that question. Cause I always tell people too, like, you know, sometimes I think we get, we get lazy in our approach to solving problems and we want to put band-aids on things. We want quick fixes. We want like instant gratification that we fix something. Um, you know, you look at sometimes big corporations approach to like, you know, it's gotten a lot better, but the traditional approach to DEI was like throw money at it or, you know, like, you, you know, just like looking through the resumes so you can go, oh yeah, okay. And versus like, what does real upstream work look like? You know, what is real, like in 10 years from now, what is, what is, if we start doing the work now, what does 10 years from now look like? And you look at a, you know, an, an industry that's incredibly lacking in diversity. Like what, what, how do we start fixing that? So in 10, 20 years from now, we wake up and we go, wow, environmentally, how do we start thinking of like, we need to do it now but like what's the band-aid versus what's the actual upstream solution? You know, even like income inequality, homelessness, like all these big problems that we have, I think we have the capability to solve. And I think there's nobody more uniquely positioned to solve that um, than entrepreneurs and in the business. I mean, think about it. Like some point somebody invited and literally invented sliced bread and everybody went like, (laughs) I want the sliced one. Um, That's easier. Um, so like we've been solving society's problems for a long time. And I think, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I always tell people like be willing to do the work, even if you're not around to see the the, the final results. And so we have to be here in the moment and be doing what's in the best decision right now or in the best risk right now. But I think what got us into the problems that we're facing is that now mentality and not thinking about 10 years from now, the next generation, like long after I'm hopefully composted into a tree and then at some point cut down, turn into firewood, and then put in a compost pile and plant it in somebody's garden. That's my final wish, by the way. It's being recorded now. I don't even need a will. Um, <laughs> but like long after that's happened, and now I'm growing tomatoes and peppers, what does the world look like? And what part did I have to play in that? And I think we all need to kind of take that long-term approach to you know, being more collaborative. And that's where I come into the like, how do we redeem the irredeemable? And how do we you know, meet these companies that or at least trying, you know, whether it's monetarily or, you know, but some of these companies have like major assets and major opportunity to like, you talk about impacts, like, cool. What did I just like 
think it was 6% of my revenue got donated last year, like cash wise. But like, what's 6% of my revenue versus what if we got 6% of Coca-Cola's revenue? You know what I mean? Like you started thinking like that of like, how do we get some of these companies in the fold? So yeah. And I think the other piece of that, that I think what, what, what it's going to boil down to is, you know, part of, I, 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 I do this when I lecture is being vocal helps. Um, I think it helps others find their voices. I think it, it spotlights issues in the world and inequities and problems and things that need to be righted. But I also, you know, try to I preach to the younger generation also though, that it, like if you see it, get involved. Like it's one thing to complain. It's one thing to be like a keyboard warrior. It's another to go like get involved in an organization and volunteer to go start an organization to even at work, like sit there and like call out like, well, what's the solution look like? If you don't like the way this policy is or, um, or this, you know, or you think we could, you know, do a better job at DEI, like see if you can form a committee, see if you can form a task force. If you think that like, man, like nobody at this company cares and we never, you know, we say we volunteer, but we don't plan a volunteer event. Like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's, you know, I have a shirt I always wear. It says take action, make progress. And I think you know, that's been the most rewarding part for me is, is I kind of got angrier and angrier. Like I joked on a call earlier with somebody from Asheville where I was like, Oh God, I'm going to throw an idea out there. And that means I probably have to do it. Um, <laughs> so like, but I think that's, I think that to a certain extent, like that's kind of my call to action um, of the generation generations behind us is, you know, like when you see it, like change takes action. And yeah, I think being vocal about it helps and raises awareness of it. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you're just kind of like throwing a complaint over the fence and it gets lodged. And sooner or later, there's only so many complaints that can be processed that you just, it just gets piled up in a complaint. You know, like, I mean, think I, I'll, one example and then you can, we can move on. But like early on when I was at Advic, somebody came to me on their first day and told me uh, that our onboarding was terrible. <laughs> She's like, can I be really candid with you? Our onboarding sucks. And, you know, like she could have easily like quit and gone on Glassdoor and been like, it's a joke of an organization. They don't even have a formal onboarding. Instead, she was like, can I help you? Because at a previous job, I actually helped kind of do the. So, boom, there we go. So now she and we recruited one more, one other director and the three of us basically went, what do we need to be included? You know, we were on the whiteboard and we and all of a sudden now we've got decks and we've got different sections and, you know, a schedule for first day of, you know, and it was like that to me was like ideal. She came with a complaint and then was like, and here's, here's how I want to help. I was like, Oh, okay. So I always share that. Cause I think that, and I just love it. She didn't really just say it was horrible. She had other words. Um, and she and I, are still, she still works there. And she and I are still really close to this day. So Cassie, if you're listening, hello. <laughs> it's so important that there's people like that in an organization, no matter how big or small, I mean, small ones, especially, but yeah, I love that story. So when was it that you started and then when did you leave Advocorium? I did it as a side hustle for side. It's funny that I had somebody come to me and basically who, uh, who now I can shout it. Well, I haven't publicly acknowledged it. By the time this comes out, they'll have made their announcement. So uh, Kenji Kiramoto came to me and said, uh, hey, I was talking about B Corps at the dinner table and my wife, Rochelle, said, you need to talk to Nathan. And so I had met Rochelle at a networking event like two years before that. And, and then COVID hit and because I was talking to the company she was VP at and COVID hit. So anyway, so then Kenji, who owns his own company, comes to me and is like, hey, can I pay you? I need, I want to do this. And I'm like, um, okay. 
So I went to Jeff, CEO of Advic, and I'm like, hey, man, so uh, I got somebody who wants to pay me to do this. Like, And we had done something during the pandemic when you're just like no work. And I got we have IT consultants sitting on the bench. And I'm like, hey, man, somebody's going to give us like two grand to help them. Like, do I know we need to like crank out a handbook and do this and that. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So this one, though, he was like, no. He's like, I want you to start your own company. He's like, just, you know, kind of keep it like, you know, you, it won't compete with us. And I know I, I trust that you'll work hours, you know, 51 through 90 after you do hours one through 50 for us. Like, he's like, I know you. And like, you know, I don't think he, the expectation wasn't to work 50, but he knows me. And I just, um, I, I came up in trucking, like I don't know, 80 hours is like a standard work week. Um, 80, 80 hours is a good week. So I had that like hustle anyway. And so I said, but he was like, you know, and if, if you build it and you scale it and he's like, I'll help coach you. And like, but if you get to that point, like, and we need to exit, you need to exit, like, well, we'll figure that out and we can talk replacement or what that looks like. Maybe we, you could, you could kind of continue to do this for us now on the side. And so, yeah, like a year and a half later, it got to this point where I was like starting to get some contracts and 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 honestly, I think he was starting to catch some heat because it was kind of hard to hide it after a while because like, soon I have to market this business. Um, and I think people were like, what's Nathan doing? You know, and like that. And I was just so out in the B Corp community and always networking. And, you know, I'd go to some conference and like people, it was hard to tell people like, no, we didn't pay for him to be there. He's on his vacation and planned it around Build New England. So I kind of went to Jeff and I was like, hey, man, like, I think I'm ready. And this is so this is like last July. And he's like, dude, I know you're ready. And he's like, and I'll be honest, you're never going to grow it if you can, if you're like tethered here, because you're going to be like, you don't want to mark, you don't want to like rock the boat, and like you have to almost like, to, well, it's not a Kirby Smart quote, um, it's whatever horrible explorer that was, but you got to burn the boats, like you got to go and you have to have no safety net if you want to see what you're really capable of as an entrepreneur. And uh, I'll be damned, he was right. And then sure enough, though, like. Didn't miss a beat second half of last year. Um, and in the beginning of last year, too, I had already certified as a B Corp. So I had to be all coy, like, congratulations to our 23rd B Corp or whatever it was, you know. And it's like, and like, I'm liking it, basically having conversations with myself <laughs> with thread with like, Be Local Georgia says, congratulations. Thanks, Be Local Georgia. Like, you know. <laughs> so, um, welcome to the community. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of the founder story, which is, and, and, I mean, there's no more B Corp ethos, I think, than Jeff Jones basically being like, I think that you can do more than be our director of corporate culture and strategic impact. We love you. We want you to stay here forever. But like, I also, I, I see an entrepreneur and I see somebody who's hungry. I see somebody who's not afraid of the work that it takes to be an entrepreneur. Um, I see somebody who's learned how to, not to burn themselves out, which, eh, you know, comes and goes. So like, I, he saw that in me and um, you know, mental, and even I, honestly, after I left, he was still like, we had a standing call every third Thursday and he would, you know, an hour, like, duh, 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 let me see you, send me your MSA. I want to see these, like, you, you make sure you're, you have a good lawyer, like, you know, all these questions, all these things that he learned the hard way. And he was making sure yeah. I didn't do them. And so like, yeah, man, uh, awesome B Corp boss right there to just be like, yeah, let me help you leave my company. <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, that's the full, that's the full founder story. And, um, we'll forever be grateful because, yeah, most people don't um, take that kind of ownership in their or whatever uh, relationship with their employees. So totally. it's cool. It's been cool to go from like MBA student hoping for a job to like, 
I mean, they have way more. Well, I still haven't hired my first employee. He's I'm not an equal like CEO level, but like the, it's weird now to almost have a peer as a founder. And, you know, I'm him seven, eight years ago. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of, it's rewarding and awesome. And I'm very grateful. Totally. Briefly, can you tell us about what you do at Profitable Purpose Consulting? So it's funny. So I started as well, because somebody goes, I'll pay you to do B Corp. Um, so my first year was all B Corp consulting. And so I was like, I'm a B Corp consultant. And then, you know, I started to do the math on like, you got to have a lot of companies want to do B Corp consulting. And so I, I kind of, I don't want to say I pivoted, but I started talking more about, in my, what was my title? Director of Corporate Culture and Strategic Impact. I got really good at that. I've led that corporate, uh, the B Culture call for five years, you know, social impact, like my marketing professors, I still talk to at UGA, like has all kind of research and HBR, like published, you know, like in around designing your, your corporate impact strategy to reflect well on your brand. So like kind of taking a marketing approach to doing good, um, going back to the whole ROI thing. So after I left, it was funny. Like my first contract was with, um, a company very similar to what Advic did um, that of course Jeff's friends with because they're they're like he's like five years behind. so Jeff like mentors somebody in our own industry speaking of awesome B Corp ethos and uh, he hired me to put together help him with this like internal training and professional development program and I was like hell yeah like I did this at my old job so like that was my first contract out of that and then my next contract was helping with mission, vision, values and aligning it. And kind of like, I'm like, I did a whole workshop called the brand sandwich. And when I told him about the CEO about that, he was like, that, that, that's what I need. And so we did it. And I was like, I just developed this for a workshop. Like <laughs> I did with Brad Flowers. So, and now I'm basically like, I just sold it um, by telling him about a workshop. So, and I did some B Corp projects. I've done a couple, two or three of those. Um, one of them's already certified because we got microenterprise routed. So it's turning almost like an impact and culture agency that specializes in B Corps, you know, because either way, even if you're not going to certify, but we, as we go through this process, I'm going to use the, the B impact assessment as a, a guide, as a tool for everything we do and how we work with you and kind of what best practices are. So that's, that's been, I don't want to say the pivot. And honestly, the big thing this year that we've been focused on is I've gotten my first contract and then I have a a smaller contract for a pilot. So I'm doing one in Atlanta and one in Alabama, um, working with companies, basically creating a cohort to help them um, go through and working with either social impact or founders, uh, founders of color, female founders, um, social enterprises to help them certify as B Corps. And then also work with them on not just the, checking of the boxes of the good you're doing and, you know, hey, here's your handbook, here's this, okay, we got you to 80, but also, like, hopefully preparing them with the storytelling skills to really see the ROI in the certification. Because I think, you know, and I'm, I'm glad B-Lab's kind of pushing B Corp consultant certification because I think, I'll, I know, I know, I know of, you know, Impact Growth Partners, uh, was a decade, uh, cultivating capital, Carolina's company. Like I know the, the established ones do that and they're all about helping you implement it, not just certify. But, um, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's not lacking, but I think a lot of people do what we did back in the day and they get certified and then they turn around and go, shit, what next? Um, 
so that piece as well. So yeah, that's kind of what we're that's what we're we're doing and kind of you know adjusting, iterating as it goes along with what works and what doesn't. But um, I've already yeah, this it's been a good year so far. <laughs> almost that's as great. good as the last almost as good as the last five months of last year. So. Um, just continue to build off of it. And if I have a month or two more like that, I'm going to bring on my first employee. Um, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying though. Preemptive oh congratulations. It is terrifying. If you want to I'm talk about it, let me know. Their paycheck and, oh. yeah. Um, yeah, they have, they have, I'm, I'm playing the, the Koi game right now too, because uh, they have a day job and I'm like, I, I would hate for them to quit. And then you know, give up benefits and pay and then I'm like, Oh, I can't make payroll. So like there's that anxiety that I think isn't uh, every entrepreneur knows that hiring that first person is just terrifying anxiety. Get me the thing of Tums and let me <laughs> eat half the bottle um, type of type of decision. But you know, at some point too, it's also, I've come to learn, I've, you know, got a lot of good mentors and Christina and I talk regularly and it's like, at some point too, you do know that you have to spend money to make money because I can't be doing the accounting that, blog writing the the delivery and yeah and the business development and the sales and you can't it's it's just not gonna it's not gonna scale so yeah it's a constant like chicken and egg problem um is what i found so yeah like how how do you let go of how much can you pay but i don't have the work for it but then if i can't have somebody help then we won't have the capacity when we do have the work and yeah it's yeah, and and you don't want to, you know, and it's funny because you know I, I was on a talent collective call, um, which is one of the new HR groups in the B Corp community, and and very very aligned with the B Culture call. And I'm like, how do we collaborate? But anyway, we were talking about that the other day, and I raised that question: like, did anybody who did layoffs face any any sort of like additional internal backlash because you're a B Corp? Where it's like, you know, that like suddenly like we can't do layoffs and like, but it's like, it is, it's that, and I don't think the problem goes away from employee one to employee, you know, 250. There's that chance that like, if the contract goes away, if the contract doesn't sign, like you have to be ready to do the work, but what if the work doesn't come in? What if the work goes away? What if your decision maker at that, at your client quits his job or gets laid off or like, you know, you're, there's just so many variables. So it's, it's just, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's ever going to go away, but I mean, also this is why we chose to do this because it's, mm-hmm. it's still more rewarding than it is um, anxiety driving. Absolutely. Yeah. Quickly, I want to hear about, um, you've got your own podcast called Be The Change Georgia, and I'd love to know um, if there's a conversation that has the most impact on you that you want to talk about. Oh my God, we've had some good ones. Um Oh man, Tuana's was really good with Tuana Harris, and she and I have been—we're just always trying to collaborate because we talked everything, social enterprise to media to DEI, um, and it's fun because I know most of these people really, really well. So it's like a conversation we would normally have on the phone, except we're recording it and releasing it yeah. to the world. Um, David Paparelli's is really cool. Who used to work at thrive, which is a B Corp and now started his own B Corp. And we had him on talking about like how, why he's like, before I even had proof of concept, I knew it had to be a B Corp and I knew it like foundationally to grow my business. I wanted to do it very early on. So I had those pieces in place. Um, and we had a really cool, um, Mark Hubbard was on recently who, who's at, um, renew VC, which is an impact, um, venture capital firm. They're not a B Corp, but He's one of, you know, it's hard because like, I feel like everybody's an impact investor now. 
<laughs> so like especially in the VC space, like everybody, and then you you know you, you get to know them, and you're like, uh, you're just a VC who realized that like putting impact in front of investor was something that would garner eyeballs. And Mark is the exact opposite, and like intentionally built a team that is very diverse. And basically, it might not make sense to me your business idea, but like I'll see like sometimes I look around the room and people that don't look like me, their heads are nodding. And he's just like, well, I'm gonna leave, um, y'all. <laughs> Um, and even yesterday we had Anastasia, we recorded, it hasn't been released yet. We had Anastasia Simon who works at, um, Techstars Atlanta and just a very, very interesting conversation about intentionality and, um, you know, and even some of the, like, you know, the outcomes in the VC world that aren't necessarily nefariously driven as far as like, you know, gender and, you know, lack of funding to women founders, to founders of color, but it's also it's just it's a breaking down of who has traditionally been in that business and what their network looks like and a lack of intentionality in how we build our networks. And I was like, whoa. Um, and then it derailed at the end because we started talking about like anyway, went into like we had a she closed it with words of wisdom from juvenile off of the album Four Hundred Degrees. And I was like, We are old and embarrassing ourselves right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but so, what's your listener demographic? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I think it's going to resonate. Um, and then I sent her a screenshot from the treadmill this morning at the gym. And I was like, I blame you. And it was a screenshot of me, basically of my phone with uh, 400 degrees playing. So anyway, so two podcasts in a row. That, hope you're listening, Juvenile. Um, so, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And we're hoping to, I might expand a little bit regionally, especially this year, just as we start to, I, I'm trying to, I'm, I want to use it as a vehicle to get people excited for build. Um, yeah, since we're doing build I'm excited Southeast. for build. Dude, it's, I don't know what, I don't, honestly. It's going to be I, big. We're bringing our whole team. That's my, that's my hope. Yeah, I got to stop. Like, I, I don't know what I'm, uh, I, I don't have to stop. I love this shit. Like, why would I stop? Like, <laughs> I Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I'm an idiot. Why did I want to plan to build? Don't get me wrong. There's going to be moments during the process where I'm like, why did I, why did, no, stop doing this, Nathan. But but I mean, build 2020 was awesome. Build 20, even 2022, like that opening panel that we had was just amazing. And I'm like, so this year, like doing it in person. And I just, I like, I want to, I just hope we get a really good turnout from like, not the triangle. Not that I, that I know the triangle showing up, but like, I hope we get Asheville there. I hope we get some people from be local mid Atlantic. I hope we, you know, like I'm going to do all I can to get everybody. I'm like, do we need to charter a bus from Atlanta? But like, I, I hope we get, I hope people are as excited that I'm not just crazy and I think that like this is going to be super cool. And then I turn around and there's like eight of us in the room like, be corpse. Um, <laughs> I think I've heard from people all across the U.S. in my network that want to come. Yeah, I think I've it's going to be. people in Oregon and California and New York and Maryland. Like people are coming. That's crazy. I know. And I'm going up to um, – Kentucky in a month or so. So I'm, I'm going to be doing some, I'm going to try to make it over to makers mark. And I've got an event that's very B Corp oriented um, with canopy Kentucky that next day. So like I'm going to put in the hardcore press on and like I flew up to a B Tennessee event last month. Um, so, you know, you have a B Corp problem when you jump on a plane to, to go to a happy hour. Um, <laughs> so, but I want, I, you know, I wanted to be Tennessee. Like I wanted to be there. I want them to know like, 
that like we want you to be successful you know like i want them to see that like they have support from the community and you know all like all the stuff that i've done you know over in birmingham and and helping out with some of the stuff be alabama and their one b corp that has two more in the queue that's trying to get five you know like all of a sudden we could wake up at the end of this year and alabama might have 10 b corps so um yeah i just think and there's some i mean we we what do you want to say it goes back to the thing we said earlier about like you know, it's just it, the language is different here. It's, 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 the culture is different. The the problems are unique. Um, the opportunities are incredible, though. When you think about like the theory of change and you know the you know the the diversity, equity, and inclusion component of like, I mean, the state of Georgia is thirty three percent black, fifty one percent female. Like we have an opportunity, and most of the southeast looks like that. So we have an opportunity, and we have the startup scenes, and we have you know, people doing the work whose voices we can amplify, who whose um, organizations we can support, whose work we can support and uplift. So I, I just think that there's just such a cool opportunity in the Southeast to to break down some stereotypes too. Because sometimes, I mean, you know how it is. Like sometimes you still feel like like we get a little bit of a bless their heart from the rest of the country um, that we're, you know, you know, sitting on the porch playing banjos and like, you know, spitting in spittoons and like, I, and in reality, it's like, no, man, this place like Atlanta is lit. Like Atlanta is, Atlanta influences everything. Like there's a shirt, there's a whole brand that somebody created. Atlanta influences everything. So like, I just, I don't know. It's just, I hope it's just a, just a giant celebration um, of, of what makes this region incredible. And, you know, and the work that, that, that really passionate people are doing to change that narrative. So um excited to see the community. I mean, even Georgia, eight to 20, I think we're 24 B Corps now in five years, you know, and honestly, if it wasn't for a couple relocating, a couple getting purchased, we'd be at like 30. But um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited for build and, and I'm hoping to use the podcast to promote some people and get some people excited and, and just, I hope everybody turns out because it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun little celebration. It definitely will be. Well, I have one last question for you um, that I ask everybody. I'd love to hear what person or company doing good has had the biggest impact on you. Oh, God. She's never going to let me hear the end of this. Um, Christina Noel. God bless. (laughs) Um, But no, like, I mean, from that early moment of like the first meeting, you know, you don't realize, I think, how this like impacts your, your thinking and your philosophy and your, your, your own mindset, but like she worked on a B Corp project as an MBA at UGA in like 2013 or 14. And then like, so when we had the meeting with Jeff and Alice and at Victorium team, it wasn't even a team. Then they had like eight people, no office. It's like, but who's in the room who drove down from Dagum Raleigh, Christina Noel to be there to like help tell us what the hell they were talking about. Cause we're like B Corp. Sure. Whatever that is. Um, none of us in the room knew. And then like helped with, the, you know, was there to answer questions and like, she's always been like available and like a sounding board and just a, a, a you know, even sometimes I'm like B Corps aren't perfect. There were times that I had Vic where I was like burning out. I'm trying to do all the B Corp stuff, but also cranking out invoices and doing financial operations and the, Shit I hated, um, but I knew had to be done and added value. And I love Jeff and I would do anything. And Christina would be the one that would like answer my phone calls and and talk me off the ledge and work with me and and tell me, you know, and and help me think differently about like self-care and and mental well-being and 
Um, like she's just like the true, like she and Carolina Miranda, I think are just those true, like abundance mindset people that are just genuinely nice to the point where you're like, do you need, do you, do you want something? Do you need something? Like what, why are you being so nice to me? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's impacted how I, and I know Christina had to clamp down a little bit on just taking calls to anybody. I have not yet, <laughs> but I think <laughs> the Noel effect though, that I've just continued to like, I'll make time for people and I'll, I'll help people and I'll connect people. And I think all that shit comes back to you in the long run, but I don't think I would have, I would have known it all. I don't think I would have, I would have turned out this way um, without a mentor like that. So yeah, Christina Noel. Love you, Christina. <laughs> Thank you for being on Inside Impact, Nathan. If people want to learn more about you and what you're doing, how can they connect with you? Uh, we all know that I, well, no, we don't all know that I don't have Facebook or Instagram. Um, but I'm on the LinkedIn. Um, that's my social media of choice on the interweb. So yeah, I'm linkedin.com slash Nathan A. Stuck. Also tip on LinkedIn, always put your middle initial after your first name. You can tell the spammers from real people um, when you get messages in your inbox because who would go, hi, Nathan A. Um, but <laughs> I'm Nathan A. Stuck. And then Be Local Georgia is on is on the gram and is on LinkedIn. And then Profitable Purpose Consulting is on LinkedIn. And I cranked out a bunch of blogs over the last week, so we'll be posting a lot more frequently. That whole entrepreneurship thing sometimes gets in the way of, um, you know, marketing so but yeah that's those are the primary places to find me and yeah i'm on i'm on linkedin quite frequently and happy to connect engage talk whatever like i just said if you want to meet you want to talk b corps you want to talk impact metrics kpis whatever you want to talk about i'm usually happy to uh, nerd out on this kind of stuff Thank you so much to Nathan Stuck, who you can find at BeLocalGeorgia.com. And thank you for listening to Inside Impact. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would give us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using right now. For all of you making an impact in your communities, let's hear about it. Send us an email to podcast at UnityWebAgency.com and we'll be sure to mention what you're doing on the show or even have you on. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Elisa Hur, and we'll talk to you again soon on Inside Impact.